Uh, good morning, Highland Park Baptist Church. It is good to be back with you again. Uh, for those of you who weren't here the previous times I was here, I'm, I'm James Pope. I'm a retired pastor uh, who spent 27 years in Maryland, but originally from Texas. Uh, was in the trenches for 40-something years, but glad to be with you this morning. And, uh, and, and recounting my previous times with you, um, it's, it's been a month between each time. And, you know, I could get a complex about that, that after having me, it takes four weeks to get a bad taste out of your mouth before you're ready for me again. But I'm not going to assume that right up front. It's, it, it was a good experience all the way around, but glad to be back with you this morning. And since we're no longer officially dating, we have a platonic relationship, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be a part of that. So I've, I've, I've dressed down for the occasion to be a part of life with you. All right, question number one to, to begin our, our message, our teaching time is, do we have any fishermen in the house? that will admit to it. Yeah, it's, it, it shows one of the changes, trends in, in, in our culture when you see fewer and fewer people that are engaged in that. Well, I'm going to start by talking about fishing. So if you're not a fishing person, just humor the rest of us. Uh, I grew up in a family that, that fishing was a part of, of life for us. And uh, so the story goes, and, and, and Vance Habner, one of the native sons of South Carolina, was the one who said there's some things that are so old they become new again. Well, I admit that the story I'm about to tell you is one of those really old stories. And I remember the first time that I heard it, but for the first time in my ministry, it's apropos to introducing our message today. It seems the story is that there was a, a, a DNR officer, we used to call them game wardens, but now they're DNR officers, who, uh, who moved in next door to a person that had a boat parked in their driveway. And, uh, and so for weeks on end, he watched his neighbor get up, and get in that boat and leave and come back with a real stringer of fish. But the interesting thing was that he never took any fishing tackle with him. Y'all heard this story? Okay, good, good. Then on cue, you'll know when to laugh. So anyway, so he watches this guy and he became really curious. And so one day he went over to him as his neighbor and said, I, I watch you week after week after week get in your boat and, and go to the lake and come back and you have this mess of fish every time. I'd like to go with you sometime and see, you know, how you actually do it. He said, well, that's fine. They come on, you know, next weekend and, and we'll go. So the next weekend they got up bright and early and, and, and they went to the lake and here's this really nice boat, but there's not any fishing tackle on board. And so they launch their boat, and they go out and find a place there on the lake. And, and um, the, the guy with the boat pulls out a brown paper bag, and he pulls out of it a stick of dynamite and lights it and throws it in the water. Now, I didn't know that this is a way that, that fishing is actually done some places on planet Earth. Um, you know, after all this time of knowing the story, I didn't know this. But anyway, it was cool to find this. So anyway, he throws the stick of dynamite in, and it blows up. And in just a few minutes, fish come floating to the surface of the water. And he paddles around and he gathers this mess of fish. And, 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 the, and the DNR officer is looking, looking at him aghast. And he says, I, I, I can't believe you did what you just did. Don't you know that that is against the law to do that? And the neighbor didn't say a word. He reached in the sack, pulled out another stick of dynamite, lit it, handed it to the DNR officer and said to him, Are you going to talk or are you going to fish? We, we, we know the rest of the story. Um, of all the things, and, and a part of my, I think, my calling, my responsibility, even as a guest uh, preacher with you, is to help you as a church further your sense of call and purpose in the community to be what you, you think you are or you say you are, you hope that you are. 
And, um, and really, as we're going to see in just a moment as we read the text, that, that, that the metaphorical image of fishing connected with the followers of Jesus Christ is the earliest image and concept that we have in Scripture. And so I can't think of anything more apropos to you at this stage in the season of your life as a church and for you as a person who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ as to whether you still are answering the call to fish. So we're going to put the scripture up here. Um, follow along. This is out of the NASB. And uh, we're going to share this passage out of Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And as he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and what? I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, immediately, I don't know if you know this, but Mark's gospel, that is his favorite word all the way through. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending the nets. Immediately, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. You don't have to be a student of Scripture to recognize this because it's in the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. The Gospels are at the very beginning of the New Testament. That this is the very earliest stages of the ministry of Jesus that wouldn't just be life-changing for a few, but it would be culturally changing for a species of which you and I are the direct descendants of those events back then. And out of all the things that Jesus could do, and, and, and I don't know about you, but I, I, I try to go back and put myself in that context with those people with, with those words and try to flesh it out as to what they were actually thinking. So here is Jesus, basically anonymous in his culture except in his hometown and region, who begins a ministry about the age of 30. And he does what many others have done historically. He presents himself in the form of a rabbi, somebody who is a teacher, and which was not uncommon. Because someone would come along and they'd have a word and they would gather a group of followers with them. And so Jesus was simply one more player in the landscape where this was not an uncommon thing. Well, now, how he began his ministry was a little uncommon. To go into the synagogue and to stand up and, and read a, a passage of Scripture out of an ancient scroll. And, and for people waiting for his commentary on that. And, he, and, and the only thing he had to say was, you've heard it fulfilled today. And he sat down. And people wondered what that meant. So in Jesus in this process, he goes about to call disciples to himself. So it's important for us to understand this framework in answering the call to fish. So you should have in your printed material an outline, a fill-in-the-blank outline. I've provided that so that you can participate with me and write something down. I've created enough space in there so if you get bored or distracted, you can play tic-tac-toe or something else in there with that space. So anyway, let's take our outlines and let's fill in these blanks. First, let's, let's examine the call in context. 
Because as a student of Scripture, you should always do that first, whether you're reading in Genesis or you're reading in, in the book of Revelation or anywhere in between. To find the meaning for us now, you need to understand the context in which it took place. So there's the context. That the call, this call to become fishers of men, wasn't a first encounter with Jesus. Um, you don't have to have, have a seminary degree or a college degree to, to sort of create a timeline of the events back then. Go, if you can Google, you can find this out. Do a Google Harmony of the Gospels, and you'll find a number of websites there. I, I, don't, I don't really recommend going to the LDS website, but that's one of those. And what you'll have are people that have sat down with Scripture and asked the question, what is the sequence of events in the life and the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels? And, and, and what is the timeline in which those fit in? And they attempt through the four Gospels to create this three-year timeline from the beginning of the ministry of Jesus with a little intro of his birth in early years all the way down to the crucifixion and the resurrection. And so you go back and what you will discover is this, this scene that we have just read about where Jesus goes and he finds these two pairs of brothers and he says to them what? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men wasn't the first time they'd had an encounter with him. If, if you want to look here, we'll, we'll find this out in John's gospel. We find this account. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, sort of that rabbinical role um, as the voice out of the wilderness. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, Where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are, you are Simon the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip, and Jesus said to him, follow me. So the first encounter with Jesus happens before this scene that we are talking about this morning when he tells them what is supposed to take place in their following him. Now, this account of being called or invited or challenged to become fishers of men is found in two of the Gospels. I chose the, the Gospel of Mark for our account because we know that while Mark wasn't present as a part of these, he wasn't an apostle, he wasn't one of the original disciples, the voice behind his writing was the voice of Peter. And so Peter was there at the beginning when this happened, and so I wanted to base our, our journey today on the recounting of Peter of these events. So setting in context, the call to, to, to become fishers of men was not the first encounter. The first encounter with Jesus, and, and I had a, an evangelist friend who pointed this out one time. He said, the only invitation that Jesus ever extended was, follow me. Follow me. He never said, invite me into your heart. He said, follow me. The commitment is to follow me. And so this first commitment, Jesus finds these men, these fishermen. He says, follow me. And the scripture says, and they followed him. Now, a part of the timeline issue with the harmony of Gospels is quite often we don't know how much time elapsed between event A and event B and event C. On occasion, we'll have it was the Sabbath day, 
or on occasion we'll have three days later, or on occasion we'll have it with the week of. But in most cases, the three years that we have in the ministry of Jesus, we don't have real markers in there. So we don't know exactly how much time lapsed between the first encounter of these men with Jesus who said, follow me, and this next encounter where he said to them, and I will make you fishers of men. So the call wasn't a first encounter. The call was a qualifying call. The call was a qualifying call. Now, it's, uh, it's interesting that if you do a study of, of world religions, and, and if you're like me, if you're good, a good Baptist and a good evangelical, you're not particularly fond of the word religion because that doesn't describe what you're about. You and I are about a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. The world considers us religious. That's their mistake. That's okay. That's on them. But when you study the whole spectrum of, of, of supposed spiritual experiences, you will, ha- you will find a set of guidelines that distinguish that group from other groups. And for the person that doesn't wear our shoes, that hasn't come to that place where we've experienced the voice of the Spirit of God saying to us, I invite you into a relationship with Jesus to follow Him, for most of the world and most of the people that you and I know, they assume that all we're doing is we're following a different set of guidelines from someone else in the name of being religious and believing in God or in multiple gods, if you're a Hindu. Um, But in this case, when Jesus comes and he invites these men beyond the just following him, he qualifies what that is supposed to look like. Because notice Jesus doesn't say, come follow me and I might make you fishers of men. Or I want to make you fishers of men. Or I should make you fishers of men. What did he say? The text said, Jesus said to them, and what? I will make you fishers of men. It's interesting to note in the very language that Jesus uses, he's not telling them, I'm going to teach you things to do. He says, I'm going to make you into something that you are not. Following me is about becoming something you are not, not simply embracing a new set of rules and regulations, do's and don'ts. Do do you get that? Here, do one of these actions like this so I know we're on the same. Okay, all right. The call was a qualifying call. Because when Jesus said, follow me, it's like, so what does that mean? So we're supposed to just walk around behind you and watch you and listen to you and sort of replicate you? No, Jesus said, I'm qualifying what it means to be a follower of mine. I will make you into something you're not, and I'm going to make you in fishers of men. So is it a, is it a legitimate question in our conversation right now, in our context in 2018, 2,000 years removed from these events and these words, that it's a test of whether somebody is really following Jesus if, in fact, they're not fishing for men. Is it a fair question? See, the question becomes for you as a church, Highland Park Baptist Church, is is Highland Park Baptist Church a fishing club or is it a fishing camp? Now, see, because most of you didn't raise your hand about fishing, you don't know the difference, okay? Uh, let, Let me see if I can explain this to you. A fishing club is made up of people who like to fish. They have actually fished as a part of their journey. They, they like to fish so much, they like to talk about fishing. And, and, and fishermen are like golfers. They like to talk about their exploits. Probably like golfers, they're pretty good liars too. But anyway, that's another story altogether. Um, and, and they like to share that. So they get together with other people who like to fish, and then they need a place to gather to talk about their fishing exploits. And so they find a place to create their fishing club. But over the course of time, a fishing club becomes less about the fishing itself and more about the club when people get together and talk about what they used to do. A fishing camp is a place where people go, catch fish, clean fish, 
eat fish. So the question is for your church, is Highland Park Baptist Church a fishing club or is it a fishing camp? Number two, is consider the call in its content exactly what did Jesus say and what does it mean? It utilizes familiar imagery. It utilizes familiar imagery. Now, uh, it's interesting to note, as, as, as I think through and as I've thought through over four decades of doing ministry and preaching, the attitude that, that, that the public in general have about Jesus has, has sort of morphed over time. That it would be easy for you and I to think that if Jesus were to appear uh, in, in our context today, what would the response be? How would people treat him as the Jesus that he was in Scripture? Now, I'm not going to belabor this, but I'm pretty well convinced that, that he would not be held in highest esteem because Jesus was never considered sophisticated by anyone that he encountered because he didn't use big words, he didn't use big concepts, he didn't use theological language that you and I have grown accustomed to, church talk. He used, what, common things to talk about spiritual issues and spiritual content. And in this case, the imagery that Jesus uses, which is the earliest imagery of what it means to be, what, a, a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ, he talked about fish and fishing. He talked about fish and fishing because the people he's talking to understood fish and fishing. When, you know, when he gets into the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain later on, and he uses imagery there, he uses simple imagery. He talks about what? The birds. He talks about the lilies of the field. He talks about the flowers. He talks about, he talks about very, he, Jesus would not be considered sophisticated, for, so most people would write him off as being less informed and less intelligent than they. And yet there's a reason that Jesus kept it simple, the reason being he wanted people to understand exactly what he said. It utilized familiar imagery. And number two, it emphasized an objective, not a methodology. It emphasized a, an, an objective. He says, come and follow me, and I will, what, make you fishers of men. Now, for, for those of you who teach Sunday school or, or Bible study or have been a part of church life for any length of time, it's real easy to get caught up in the language of the text and get distracted by the debate over which it ought to be. Because when, when, when somebody uses the word fishing, let's go fishing, it's assumed that everybody knows exactly what you're talking about, even among those who go fishing. Because you step back and you think about, well, there's, is there only one way to fish? Is there only one way to fish? No. So here, here's some images. This is, this is the concept of fishing that most of us learned early on and that was fishing what with a cane pole a string a hook a weight and a float bobber cork depending on where you were is what it was called something that floats on the top of the water so you know when something is nibbling on your bait or when they've taken that bait this is the earth so fishing with a cane pole this is the simplest method and usually it's done from a the, the bank of a river or a creek or a stream or a pond or something like that. And then you graduate into the more sophisticated. And then there's a, a fishing rod and a fishing reel. And if you know anything about fishing, there's more than one variety of that. There were the open-faced, uh, you know, things that we grew up with that were horrible. If you didn't know how to cast, because if you didn't know how to cast and you did one of these things, what happened? You'd get a bird's nest in that thing. Now, it wasn't impossible to untangle that bird's nest. It just would consume all your fishing time to do so. 
And the smart thing was just to have a lot more line on there, just cut the, the nest out and go on fishing. So, so you know, you, you have fishing with a non-mechanical device like a, a cane pole, or you have a rod and a reel. And those have evolved over time. I, I'm, I'm particularly fond of an open-faced reel that, you know, you can whip around. But then there's this kind of fishing. I, I, I've always wanted to do this kind of fishing. You know why? Because I've been at those places where the water was clear. And you could see the biggest, most beautiful fish in the world. You could put the best bait on the hook. You could, you could poke it in their eyeball and they wouldn't bite it. And I've always wanted to say, I want that fish. And I'm thinking, this is one way, this is one way to fish. I never got to do that yet. Or there's this way. In certain places, if you like flounder, this is the principal way that flounder are caught. Why? Because they're really hideous-looking creatures. You know, they're, they're, they're flat-bodied. Both sides don't look the side. The underside looks white. The top side looks like this. And their eyes are on the top side of their head. I mean, they're a ghastly-looking creature. And, and, and some, while you can cook, hook them, catch them with bait and a hook, this is the primary way. You wade around through the water. You see where they are. You take a gig and you gig them. It is a method of fishing. It's not like fishing with a pole. It's not like fishing with a rod and reel. It's not like fishing with a bow and an arrow. It's fishing with a pitchfork. Um, and then there's this kind. If you're actually in the water with the fish underwater, then it's take a spear gun. And I have yet to do this, um, but that's on my, my shopping list to do. And then there's this kind of fishing. Do we know what kind this is? Noodling, noodling, noodling. Okay, now I'm, I'm a country boy. I grew up around the farm. I grew up around fishing. I grew up, I, the, 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 the places where this is done. Never did this. I am not inspired to do this. If you've never seen this or witnessed it, it is a very efficient method of fishing. You get into water that looks like chocolate milk, and you find a place where there's a rock or a hollow or a cave underwater that you stick your hand up inside of when you can't see what's there. You have no idea what's inside of that thing. And you hope there's a big catfish that you stick your hand into his mouth and hope he bites your arm so you can pull him out. Now, any of you done this? God bless you. I'm, you know. Um, but it is, is, is not this fishing? I would say this is fishing. And usually they're pretty big fish. And then there's the, so the, the, the un, unattended and, and we could go on. This is called a gill net. Most places these are illegal. You string this out. You don't have to tend to it. Fish, there's no bait involved in this. Fish go through. They try to go through the net. They get hung in it. And then you go back and pull them in. This is a method of fishing. This is used in much of the world by primitive cultures for catch because it is a very efficient method for doing so. And then there's what's known as a fish wheel. Um, this is used primarily in, in, in Alaska and in primitive places where you have a flowing river. You set this device up that has this big wheel in the middle and the current turns this wheel and the fish get into it and the wheel catches those fish and then they slide out into a, a box on the side. And it runs as long as there's current and it's allowed to run. It's called a fish wheel. We would say this is a method of fishing. But this is the image that we have in the New Testament. The men that Jesus encountered that day, who had already encountered before and said, follow me, when he said they were washing their nets, they were mending their nets, they were casting their nets, this is the kind of net that they used. It was a round mesh net with weights on the outside. And I've never tried this. I've always been curious to where they could take that thing and sling it out there and it just like a giant umbrella rest down on the water. The weights come down on the edges and the fish that happened to be in, in that environment would be caught in the net. And then the string that was attached to it would pull the, the sides in and up and you would bring the fish on board. 
Now, see, it would be real easy in our trying to understand what Jesus is talking about when he said to his disciples, I will make you fishers of men, that we could get distracted and to talk about the net being the way that Jesus intended for us to fish. But in thinking about it, Jesus didn't say, come follow me and I'll teach you how to throw a net. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Now this, this is an image, personal, sort of personal image, that is, is, is what the Lord used to bring me to this text and this passage for you as a church. This is an image taken in 1965. I look out here and many of you were nowhere in 1965. You hadn't been thought of in 1965. Matter of fact, some of your parents may not have been thought of in 1965. Um, th- this is an image. Of, that is me on the left. You can't make it out very well. Um, you see, I was a mere child back then. Sitting in the corner looking this way is, is my mom's brother and uncle who was 28 years old then. I didn't realize that until I did the math. I didn't think he was ever 28 years old. You know, those, he's one of those uncles. And then laying down there with his head, that's my, my granddad, my, my mom's dad. Now, that family was a fishing fool family. My grandfather was a, was a, both grandfathers were a farmer. He was a farmer, but he had two passions, well, three passions of life besides, besides farming. One is he, he, he loved to eat. To watch this man eat, if you were a cook or a chef, he, he would be the delight of your soul. You'd swear it was his final meal every time. Uh, he, he loved food, and, and it, it caught up with him. The second, he loved to play dominoes, particularly 42. But he's the guy that you didn't want to play with because after you'd shuffled and everybody said that, he could tell you exactly what you had. It, it was very disgusting. But the other thing was that he loved to fish. And, and I grew up fishing with him. This picture is taken actually on, on this thing right here, this very old picture. Sorry, it's washed out. Um, this is known as a crappie house in Texas. It, it, it's pronounced crappie because it ends with an I-E and not a Y. You figure out what that means. This was owned by a great uncle of mine, my granddad's brother, who was the chief of police in Graham, Texas. And it's set on Possum Kingdom Reservoir. It's known as a crappie house because it was a small structure set on 55-gallon drums, towed into place and anchored into place that you would go to for fishing. And it had a walkway around three sides, so you pull your boat right up to it. On the inside, and, and I don't have really good pictures. I'm, I was grateful to have these, and hopefully make this out. On the inside, it was just one room, one, 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 and it wasn't a big room. And, uh, you, uh, um, there's a sink there, sort of a primitive sink behind. That's my grandmother, who was 60 then. It's like, I swear, she was 60 my whole life. But anyway, behind her is a little propane stove there, and then across the room was a refrigerator. I didn't remember electricity, except there's a light bulb on there. And, and then there was folding chairs, and then there was a table set there to eat at. And, uh, and what, what made a crappie house a crappie house was that you could take and move the table, fold the chairs up, and, and open a trap door inside this structure. Set your chairs up around this hole in the floor and fish set in your drawers. I mean, it really, you, I mean, you could do that. It, it, was, it was fishing in the comfort of your home or your living room. Now, I must confess that my older brother and my younger brother and I, we were fish in the water when we were on the lake. We loved to go in the water outside of the crappie house, swim underneath, find somebody's fishing line, and, and do one of these kind of numbers, these numbers here. Now, what made me, and I have to explain why this took me to the passage about Jesus. I'm convinced that what has happened over time, 
over 2,000 years, and for you particularly over the 60 years of the life of this church. You see, early Christianity was about doing exactly what Jesus did, fishing for men. It was illegal for 300 years to do that in the name of Jesus. I hope you know that. It was the reason that, that most uh, of the apostles died as martyrs, and John did not because they didn't try. He just wouldn't die. Um, for 300 years, it was against the law to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ and, and be a fisher of men. When Constantine became the emperor of Rome and had a, quote, conversion experience where he supposedly had a vision, saw the sign of the cross and the words in this sign, conquer, he legitimized Christianity, but he did something more than that. He took the edge off of it. He made it acceptable. He made it institutional. He made it something that Jesus didn't talk about at the very beginning. And when it became the mainstay of culture, then the people who were a part of that took what had been a fish camp and turned it into a fish club. I'm convinced that in most churches around our country, and I think it, it may be said here, that at one time this church was about fishing, but has it become a crappie house? Because the difference between somebody who goes fishing and somebody that goes to a crappie house, when you go fishing, what? You try to find where the fish are and you go to them. When you're a crappie house fisherman, you go sit in the house <laughs> and you expect the fish to come to you. Have we offended anybody yet? I may not be trying hard enough. Okay. By the way, all the people you saw in those pictures are in eternity now. Buried my grandmother, buried my grandfather, buried my uncle. So let's, let's contextualize the call in the time we have left. We have to be quick here. First is, personally, contextualize the call. Was, what, were Jesus' words in Mark chapter 1 only words for those fishermen in that place in that time? Are those words not words for you and for me? That personally the call is to what? To be active. To be called, I will make you... Fishers of men. The, those, are, those are action words. Those are not passive words. I don't think that Jesus ever intended for the church to become a crappie house. I think Jesus expected the people who said, I will follow Jesus to follow Jesus, not just in his teaching and in his preaching, but in his fishing. Because he never sat still he remained about the business of going and introducing people to the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. Personally, the call is to be active. And so for you, if you claim to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ, is, is, is that true of you? Are you actively seeking those who need Jesus, that you might introduce them to Jesus, that they might follow Jesus? The people in that picture, my, my grandparents were, they were that other kind of Christian. They were Methodist, you know, the Baptist quite often intermarried with Methodist. Um, my dad was, my granddad was a superintendent of the Sunday School of the Methodist Church in the small town where, where he farmed. Um, but I always wondered where my grandparents, grandparents were spiritually. Because you haven't figured it out or not, being a church member doesn't make you a Christian. We got that clear? Being baptized doesn't make you a Christian. Taking the Lord's Supper doesn't make you a Christian. Following Jesus is what makes you a Christian. And, 
I can say I fished with my grandparents, not just at the lake or at the river, but I asked them where they stood in their relationship with Jesus. <laughs> and I remember my grandmother going, I don't know where you get these notions from. <laughs> my uncle. I was pastoring a small country church where our son was born, so this is 35, 36 years ago. On a Sunday evening, who showed up for church but my uncle? And after the service, he came to me. He said, Bud, I need help. I don't know what to do. I got to introduce my uncle to Jesus and see him make a commitment to follow Jesus. And he did for the rest of his life. Personally, are you being a follower of Jesus if you're not fishing? And then, and then corporately. And, and this is the question about whether this is a fish club or a fish camp. Corporately. The call is to be strategic. The strategy goes something like this, and then we'll bring this in for a landing. It goes something like this. Out of all the things that we do in the name of our church, how, many, how much of it has to do with actually fishing for men that Jesus said that's what the call is about? In all the programming, in all the activities, how much of it is about actually fishing for people that need Jesus? And let's see if I can sufficiently offend at this point. You're, you're in the process. You have a committee that's looking for, going to be looking for a pastor. You, you have an interim in, in Brother Ron, and he's a good man, and I know he'll serve you well. But, but you're looking for somebody to come and lead you. The question is, are you looking for a, a fisherman? And, and, and in, in your search, for those of you who actually might be on that committee, your search is, are you expecting to find a fisherman who comes here and spends all of his time sitting in an office, never out in a creek, with a pole looking for fish. If you're looking for somebody that wants to lead this church from being a fishing club into a fishing camp, then you need to find somebody that's committed to fishing personally and committed to do those things to help lead you to get back out of the club into the camp and find the fish where they are. So the final question is, are you prepared to leave your nets in order to take up his? I want you to bow your head. This is a time for you to answer that question. And the first question is, have, have I answered the call to follow Jesus? Uh, Brother Jason is going to come and, and stand down at front to, to receive you. Um, that During this time, if, if, if your commitment is, I've not made that commitment yet, but... I want to answer the call. I want to follow Jesus. We'll then come and, and share that with Brother Jason, and he'll be prepared to talk with you and pray with you. If you're, if you're answering that call to say, I, I, I want to follow Jesus, and I want to be a fisher of men. I want to become that thing that Jesus said he would make us if we would let him and surrender to him. Then as the Lord speaks to your heart during this time of commitment, I invite you to come as well. Father, right now, you know our hearts. You know your desire for each one of us. You know those who have answered your call to follow Jesus. And Lord, for that one that might be here who is yet undecided, that in this time you would prompt them 
to declare themselves to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And then for the rest of us, Lord, we don't have to go far to find people that don't know Jesus. And Lord, if, if you're renewing our sense of surrender and call to become that thing which you initially said you wanted us to become, then help us declare ourselves and equip ourselves and prepare ourselves and begin doing, not just talking about it. We thank you for this time to be exposed to these truths in your word. Now, Father, we commit this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. Amen.